0: Tennis on the Daily Sports Talk Show. Nuwana is now. Watch the show statewide on S. Claimed my stool. Welcome in, everybody. What's up? Hope you had a great weekend. Coulter Nuanas here on Nuanas Now. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you had a great start to your week. It's a sunshiny, beautiful day here in Missoula. Uh, Glad that waited for a Monday. We're back at work. Had all these plans to go driving and swinging golf clubs, and instead it snowed all weekend long. But I hope we had a great weekend. Thanks so much for tuning in with us here today in the spirit of spring. We have a very springish show here today. We will talk Final Four, of course, off the top. I got my cheers and jeers from the weekend. I, uh, I I totally understand how cool people, especially in Montana, think it is that there's the, all these underdogs in the Final Four. And uh, there is some parts about it that's really great for college basketball. There's also some parts that are very revelatory for college basketball, and there are some parts that I think could use some improvement, but that's what we're here to do is uh, commentate, and debate. So we'll talk Final Four here off the top, but then we'll also talk most of this first hour about football. It is uh, the heart of spring football. So even though we've been doing basketball for uh, almost four months now to lead Monday's shows, this will be a little bit of basketball into a Montana football hour. Myself, Andrew Houghton, will discuss some of the key storylines from spring football. We've given you some broad ones for both Montana and Montana State, but I want to give you the three position groups that I think have the most uh, action going on in them uh, at respective spring practices. Next Friday is the Grizz spring game. That snuck up on us quick. Montana always elects to uh, do spring ball, at least uh, in this iteration of this coaching staff. Bobby Houck likes to do spring ball uh, early. I think the general uh, goal is to have his guys done before Easter, and uh, that's exactly when they'll be done. They'll be done on Good Friday, and uh, then into Easter weekend, so next Friday, Washington Grizzly Stadium, uh, the Grizz ho- hosts their annual spring game. I've got a lot of questions about that. A lot of years, particularly when Coach alka has been the coach, he's taken the spring game on the road. They've done it like last year, for example, was in Hamilton. Uh, they've certainly had a variety of spring games up up north in the Flathead too. So, uh, but this year here in Missoula at Washington Grizzly Stadium, so that should be cool. Looking forward to that. Uh, And the Cats, they just got underway in spring last Tuesday. They were supposed to have their first kind of sort of scrum on Saturday, and that was going to be the first player uh, media availability of the spring. Uh, Not so fast. 25 inches of snow on Saturday in Bozeman. That's a problem, multiple reasons. One, the amount of time and effort it would take a maintenance crew to clear that uh, is immense. But also, when you have that much snow, there's nowhere to put it. (laughs) <laughs> at the stadium so that it drains properly. So there, there is a, like, point of no return, especially at Bobcat Stadium with the way the stadium's set up. There's a point of no return even if the stands are completely empty because you just can't push it all to the side, else then it won't drain properly, and then you're going to flood your whole field, and uh, that's a bad idea. So things off to a swimming start in spring ball once again. The more I the older I get, the more I cover college football. I can't believe that they don't just like have the guys do track and then do walkthroughs at the champion center or something. Like I just don't really see that much of gain doing full contact football practices when it's in the middle of winter. <laughs> I know that the the Grizz and the Castle both have games in the winter and play in the snow and all that. I, I just I don't know how much progress is gained, right? It's a uh, it's it's like the old cost benefit analysis. How much of the Programs actually benefiting from it compared to what the cost might be. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But plenty of uh, basketball and football talk here in hour number one, and then in hour number two. If you know me, if you listen along, if you are a loyal listener, you uh, you know I'm a big track nerd. I love me some track. There's so many reasons I do love track, but I also think right now in Montana among our greatest athletes just in terms of relativity to their sport and their level of competition are our local track stars at both the high school and the college levels. I think that there's, I mean, so many impressive, both young ladies and young men, but the the girls, the high school girls track athletes right now in Montana, I mean, that's the highest level of, of girls sports in Montana. The The best of the best are, are I mean, they're, they're national level recruits. They're going to Power 5 programs and uh, so I always love covering the high school kids, but then also at the collegiate track level Montana State, because of their ability to keep a lot of really great local talent home, they are rolling right now. I mean, they are you know probably a top 40, top 50 track program in the United States. When you're in the, the top two in the big sky, you're nationally relevant because the number one, Northern Arizona, they are perennially in the top 20 uh, in the national rankings. The Grizz also have a lot of intrigue around their track program right now with Doug Fraley, the new head coach uh, there at the University of Montana. How does he manifest his vision? How does his vision come to fruition? What will uh, that mean for just the Montana roster? So, we got a whole bunch of track talk at hour number two. I got some of the uh, top storylines to watch in the state of Montana, both the high school and college levels. I also got some of the fun athletes to keep your eye on for the collegiate levels, and then a couple of the top storylines from the high school level as well. We'll keep talking high school track and field later on this week as well. Got some uh, interviews potentially lined up. And uh, so we'll have a lot of track talk in hour number two. We'll also have a little bit of history in hour number two uh, as well. So there you go. That's your show outlook here uh, on Nuanas Now. Tease for a little later on this week. And I'm telling you guys this too because these guys uh, behind the glass, they love this. Uh, It's baseball time. Baseball opening day is on uh, May 30th. That's Thursday for those keeping track. Uh, For the third year in a row, very excited to welcome back Sean Rainey. Uh, He joins us all the time around here, but he and I will be doing our division-by-division breakdowns. This is basically where me, uh, Mr. Don't Follow Baseball Until September, uh, knows nothing about baseball, and I go ask Sean questions for an hour, and then we make it into division-by-division previews. And uh, So I'm going down to SWX tonight right after the show. Uh, recording some stuff with those boys down there. Uh, we're going to talk some Grizz and Bobcat hoops. You can find that on uh, SWX tonight, as well as ABC Fox Montana's newscast. So looking forward uh, to being on the tube with my with my buddies. Uh, but also then we're going to record as much of this baseball stuff, probably all of this baseball stuff, as we can. And uh, then we're, we're going to play like little 10 to 12-minute snippets over the next couple days leading up to Thursday. And then Thursday... Uh, We'll have a heavy baseball show. We'll also talk some NCAA tournament. Colby Dant, our good buddy from the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, will join us to lead Thursday's show. And we'll have uh, the completion of Rainey's series, the last couple divisions to get to, and then uh, maybe have a three-way conversation with Jeff Safford, Andrew Houghton, our uh, two producers here at ESPN Radio, as well as uh, the guys I lean on a lot for the baseball stuff as well. See, that's the thing is I – It's my number one talking point here uh, on Nuwana's Now, by the way. Thanks so much for listening, Uh, 102.9 ESPN Radio. And uh, thanks for watching SWX Montana Television. Uh, I've been missing this second stool. I have, you know, in typical cluttered ADD hoarder fashion, I have a whole stool over here that has all my papers on it. I can't move that one. (laughs) But I found the other one. So uh, sitting tall and feeling good. Um, But it's my endless debate within myself, just in terms of baseball, Because I still very much enjoy talking about baseball, and I still very much enjoy studying the history of baseball. I love listening to these guys talk about baseball. Uh, So we will continue to do that, and uh, we'll continue to just uh, talk my way around, my affinity for, and uh, maybe make my love grow earlier on here in the year. But either way, I do love this preview stuff because it does kind of get you set up for the year. and uh, So we'll talk plenty of baseball this week uh, as well. Didn't hardly work at all this weekend. That's the second weekend in a row for that. That's pretty fun. Um, I didn't know what I'd been missing. It's been a while, Um, but certainly into that time of year as well. So hopefully you had a great weekend. Went out downtown Missoula Friday night. I uh, hit up Scotty's table. Wow, chef's kiss! Second time in a row I've been there. That was so unbelievably good. This was just a free plug for them. I'm not. It's not even my client. They do advertise with us here at Missoula Broadcasting Company. But this is just me, your local Missoulian, who is out on a Friday night uh, with my girlfriend and our friends. Uh, what a great meal! What a great time! I just enjoyed myself so much. It was so fun. Uh, so that was the beginning of a great weekend. We beat feet though right after dinner to go watch the uh, Friday night nightcap of the NCAA tournament and uh, not very competitive games in the, in the second two on Friday night. We talked a lot about those on Friday's show. And as we left the air, uh, there was a couple games going on, uh, namely the two one seeds falling Alabama and Houston, both go down on Friday night. And then that rolled into uh, the, the last real true Cinderella in the bracket, Princeton uh, not really having much left in the tank, against uh, Creighton, and then we were hustling over to watch the end of the Xavier-Texas game. One of my pals who we were at dinner with, big Texas fan, football and basketball, and uh, he was certainly happy when we walked in to see the score, but (laughs) uh, not a competitive game. Texas just rolled Xavier. Uh, So then that led us into uh, what happened the rest of the weekend, and then Saturday uh, made some uh, early dinner at home and then went and watched... The Gonzaga game at, at Katie O'Keefe's. I shouldn't even say the Gonzaga game. The UConn game, because UConn destroyed Gonzaga. But I got to say thanks to our friends down at Katie O'Keefe's as well for all they've done for us throughout this month of March. Uh, we're coming down to it. This is hilarious, though. On Saturday, after the first game, we were able to declare a winner of uh, my bracket with my just my friends. I got like nine friends that all threw in 25 bucks, and winner takes all, and uh, we do it every year, whatever. We were able to declare a winner before the Elite Eight even started because only one person, my brother, had anybody even left (laughs) in the bracket. Amazing. Well, we also have been been tracking our uh, hundreds of entries in our bracket challenge here at ESPN Radio, which is sponsored by Katie O'Keefe's, And Katie O'Keefe's is um, kind enough and, and generous enough to be providing a $500 cash prize for the winner. Um, we're going to keep the name off for right now just because I do need to triple check, confirm. I need these guys to check my work, but we have received your messages and uh, we're pretty sure we already know who the winner is, even though the final four doesn't start until Saturday. But thanks to Katie O'Keefe for being the presenting sponsor of our bracket challenge here uh, at ESPN radio. And thanks to you for entering in and to uh, thanks to the few of you that are right up there at the top of the leaderboard that, have messaged us, uh, inquiring. We'll get a hold of you. We got your messages. I just wanted to triple-check the work and also, you know, keep the promotion going. The, the challenge itself is, is over, but I wanted to keep thanking our great sponsors uh, as we lead up then to the National Championship game for men's college basketball, which is a week from today. Uh, this is the Montana basketball, which then will transform into the Montana football hour uh, here on ESPN Radio. It's presented by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications has been serving Montana homes for more than six decades, providing communities with new and better ways to communicate in and connect to a changing world. With their expanding high-capacity fiber network and innovative voice solutions, Blackfoot's customers have access to the latest technologies backed by 24-7 technical support. To learn more about how Blackfoot can provide the right service for your business, visit goblackfoot.com. The fact that we already have a bracket challenge winner here at ESPN Radio, uh, and the Final Four hasn't even started, and the fact that my uh, all my pools are basically already settled because nobody picked this Final Four. And so that's what we're going to do first here is just sort of uh, dissect what that means, all the reasons why, all the things that have gone into this. Because I, I do think that sometimes we think Crazy and unpredictable equal automatically great. And while there has been some great games in this tournament, there's also been some horrible games that just were, were close. So they seemed exciting. And, you know, when you got your bracket riding on it, when you got your gambling money riding on it, whatever it might be, that's what keeps us hooked. But, like, for example, I w- if I wasn't uh, super invested just in the tournament and the storylines and the, and the action and the thrill, and that's what makes this event so awesome is – the result of the game is the most important thing, so then therefore it keeps you hooked even if the basketball is bad. But the great San Diego State game was not good. It was really really physical. I thought there was inconsistencies in the way that it was officiated, and that came down that came to fruition in the biggest spotlight at the very end. Uh, but let's go through. Let's go through all the the cheers and the jeers of this last weekend's uh, NCAA tournament, which went from 16 when we last left you on Friday to now four for those that haven't been tracking it uh florida atlantic into the final four for the very first time miami into the final four for the very first time san diego state into the final four for the very first time and yukon into the final four for the sixth time uh, all since 1999 so yukon absolutely the quote-unquote blue blood in in this field Uh, so what are the things that have gone into this first of all Cheers to all the fresh blood and all, and all the fan bases who are getting to experience this for the first time. I just mentioned three first-time qualifiers for the Final Four. That's the first time in the history of the NCAA tournament that you've had three first-time qualifiers in the Final Four. That's amazing. It's also the first time ever that there's been no one-seeds in the Final Four. And in fact, uh, it's almost exclusively not even close to one-seeds. San Diego State is a five seed. Miami is a five seed. Florida Atlantic is a nine seed, and UConn is a four seed. Now, I want to take a step back from that right there because I do think that one of the things that's been going on pretty prevalently within this tournament over the last several years has been the, the overseeding of the Power Five conferences. For example, the Big Ten got nine teams into this field, Only one of them made the Sweet 16, and none of them made it any farther than that. Now, I understand the Big Ten has a lot of really good teams. I understand the SEC and the ACC and the Big East all have a lot of really good teams, too. But I don't really know. I I think that there should—you're going to have a hard time convincing me that more than six teams from a specific league— should get into the field. But then you also see not only too many seeds from the Power 5, but you also see then the overseeding of Power 5 teams, which then it it, it hurts the seeding of the non-Power 5 teams. Conference USA should have gotten three teams in the tournament. Instead, they only got one. That's Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic won 31 games during the regular season. This team should be, and they won their conference tournament as well. So this team should be, like, on the 5 or 6 line, not on the 9 line. 7 through 10 are supposed to be those at-large Power 5 teams, but we're seeing teams that are finishing in the middle of the pack of their league get seeded way higher than um, than conference champions that have rolled through their schedule. So I thought Florida Atlantic should have been a little bit higher seed. I also think San Diego state should be a little bit of a higher seed, but the reason they're a five is because they're in the mountain West and that's just how the cookie crumbles. Yukon, a lot of experts thought should have been a two or a three. Instead they are a four. So there is a little bit of a caveat to the the numbers attached to these teams names. Um, But regardless, it's a sweet deal for all of their fan bases and for everybody following along that doesn't really have a dog in the fight. Now, A couple of the the business uh, sports writers that I follow, guys, that cover sort of the overlay between sports and business, which I think is so endlessly fascinating, they were talking about just from a pure exposure standpoint, from the ratings that these upcoming uh, Final Four games are going to garner on Saturday on television, as well as the ticket sales and the ticket prices, the supply and demand to go to this thing in Houston, Texas, they are projecting that this is going to be one of the most accessible because it will be one of the least inter, uh, or I guess captivating Final Fours uh, that we've had. Now I don't really know where I stand on that part of it. Make no mistake, if Duke or North Carolina or Kansas or Villanova are in the Final Four, they have such long-standing tradition and such fervent and passionate fan bases that's automatically going to increase the the flow of people and the the ticket sales and all of it. Uh, but but for example. The supply and demand right now is affecting this to the point where you can get into the door at the Final Four right now for about 126 bucks. That's really good compared to what the prices uh, normally are at this sort of sporting event. Now, $126 is going to get you you know, a nosebleed seat in a football stadium, but it's still significantly cheaper than what this is a lot of times. The other part of the, the cost that I found interesting, I was reading this on Twitter, is that The average right now get-in-the-door men's ticket is cheaper than the average get-in-the-door-right-now women's ticket. Now, that's a stat for progress. Uh, And, you know, I mean, who's the biggest star left in this tournament? Probably, I'd actually say certainly Caitlin Clark of Iowa after what she did last night. Uh, I mean, my goodness. Andrew was tweeting or was texting me right when I left the house, and it was like the first quarter and she already had 15 points. And so then I, I got home and I turned it on. <laughs> and by the end of this thing, she's got 41, 12, and 11. Uh, pretty unbelievable from the Iowa superstar. Uh, but, but I digress. I guess the point is that the pundits are saying that this Final Four, because the fan bases are way smaller, uh, that's going to directly impact the supply and the demand of the tickets. Now, I don't necessarily know what that does for the overall world of college basketball. I do think you're going to gain a whole bunch of fans. That are just wanting to see these sort of upstart Cinderellas um, perform for the last couple of times. No one is now it's the Montana Basketball Hour, which will turn into the Montana Football Hour. Some cheers and jeers heading into this week's uh, this weekend's upcoming Final Four. Um, the fact that the rich aren't getting richer with this Final Four, I do think it's uh, at the same time probably a positive thing for the sport. But then you also wonder how much it's going to influence a lot of the powers then to spend more to ensure this doesn't happen as prevalently. I mean, Make no mistake, the, the SEC and the Big Ten not having even close to a piece of the pie when it comes to the tournament payouts and the NCAA Final Four marketing and all that sort of stuff, uh, that they're not happy. They're, they are not getting the return on investment because they're investing so much more. Will that in turn then make them invest more? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, Another jeers I have, and I don't know who made this decision, but it was an endlessly bad one. First of all, the shooting in this tournament has not been good. And again, I totally understand why we are all captivated by it. I spent all day yesterday watching TV, watching these games, because we're invested in it. We've been following the storylines. The production value of these games are so awesome. The emotion of the kids and the overcoming adversity and... This is the back-and-forth nature of all the games and how thrilling the end is, even if it's clunky and slow with all the fouls and reviews and everything. It still is thrilling because it's close, and it means so much. And just the, 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 the uh, ecstasy of the winner and the agony of the loser, right? But I've, I've been struck by how poor the shooting is, just period. I mean, there's a couple teams that can shoot it pretty good. But it's also amazing how when they like Xavier was, I thought what looked like the best offensive team in this tournament for about a game and a half. The second half against Kennesaw State, uh, and then the next game against Pitt. But then they played an uber athletic, super long, strong Texas team, and got squished like a grape. <laughs> so uh, didn't look like a good shooting team at all. So the, the defense has been incredibly high level. We'll get to some of the reasons why. But the decision I'm jeering right now is the decision to put. The boom mics right next to the basket, so that every time the the there's a brick, you just hear it clunk, clunk. I mean, those like the side spinning hook shots that the San Diego State guys were shooting right at the bottom of the rim. It just it just sounds it just accentuated the the already uh, not great shooting. So I don't know who made that decision. I I think the intent was good. Uh, the execution of and uh, the way it adds to the viewing experience or takes away from the viewing experience, it ain't good. modest <laughs> now ESPN Radio? Uh, cheers, though, we mentioned the defense, to the teams that protect the rim. We talked so much this year in Big Sky Conference, who specifically analyzing and criticizing uh, the Montana Grizzlies uh, for their inability to protect the rim defensively, and... Uh, that's been the thing that's been, I think, the, the determining X factor is, is de- defending the paint. I think that's why you see, specifically, San Diego State uh, into the Final Four for the first time ever. Uh, I'm mean, so impressed with them. The, the way that you assume San Diego State would play, and, and that's why you know assumptions don't get you anywhere, but you'd assume San Diego State would be this slick... Uh, fast playing, high flying, shoot em up team. And instead, they're a grind you out, grind you to dust. They're so tough. They crash the boards hard. They have unbelievable interior defense. And that's why uh, they're sitting uh, exactly where they are right now. It's also sort of a story of redemption because I don't think people will remember this. San Diego State was 30 and two back uh, in the COVID year. And then they didn't get a chance to make a run at it at all, despite having an absolutely banner year. And uh, so this is their the replication of that run. I know that was several years ago, but uh, it's still cool uh, for them finding their way. I also thought this was interesting. There's so much scuttle and and uh, commentary right now online, on the radio, and everything about the um, the state of affairs of college basketball. There's a lot of people saying. Extended eligibility and name, image, and likeness and free transfer rules, that's what gets you this Final Four. Well, to be fair, I went through the rosters of these squads and there are a couple really big-time impact transfers. I mean, Nigel Pack of Miami is certainly the biggest one amongst those. He got a huge NIL deal to go to Miami, transferring from Kansas State. But a lot of these teams are actually pretty homegrown. I mean, FAU's best couple players... Are uh, recruits that came there as freshmen. Uh, UConn also UConn. It's funny because UConn somehow like not had that top level prestige. But I was looking at their best three players. Their best three players were all top seventy five recruits. Their top their top two guys were both like ranked in the forties in the country. <laughs> so these guys are you know top notch national level recruits. But either way, I think it's interesting that there's contributing grad transfers on South, or, uh, San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, and Miami. And I don't think that's a coincidence. It's the Sophia Stiles, right? I mean, Sophia Stiles played here at Montana. She had one year of eligibility left. She was a Florida, uh, Florida Gulf Coast, so she could live right there on the beach and bask in the sun and have herself a great senior year. If you just had one year left and you already had your degree in hand and you wanted to go play some hoops, What's a better spot to land in than San Diego? Well, maybe Boca Raton, Florida, where Florida Atlantic's at. Or maybe Miami, you know, Coral Gables, just up the way from South Beach. So I do think that's one way. And again, actually, you know, Nigel Pack aside, most of the, the big-time guys that are making names for themselves in this tournament uh, for these squads are not transfers. Maybe Vlad Golden has really get, got himself a name here these last couple games, the big guy for Florida Atlantic. Matt Bradley's probably the, the best and most recognizable transfer among these uh, teams. He's the point guard there at San Diego State. He's been there for a couple years. That's why it maybe doesn't seem like he's this one-and-done type guy. He's not a grad transfer, but he did transfer from Cal. Uh, he's the only guy to score 1,000 points at two different schools. How about that stat? <laughs> the, uh, the great San Diego State point guard. But either way, I do think that it's just interesting that, you know, you look at Miami and the amount of NIL money that they can pay. You look at the location of these three schools. You look at uh, just sort of sort of the chill vibe and some of the grad transfers that have landed on their rosters. I do think that part is a little bit indicative of the times that we're in and, uh, you know, just how much taking advantage of the current state of affairs certainly um, has an impact on, on how far your team can go. Montana basketball, our new on is now. Uh, I already talked about just the, the sort of inconsistencies in officiating and the clunky nature of the game. We won't get into that anymore, at least today. We talked about some of the transfers or lack thereof and uh, their impact. So all in all, I think it's great. I think that... Uh, UConn's got to be licking their lips is the only one that's been uh, to this point so far. But then I also, you know, given all those random outlying factors that we just named, I don't know how much it actually helps you. So uh, we'll keep you up to date. What's going on with the final four? Uh, Colby Dant, our great buddy from the college basketball experience, will join us at uh, four o'clock on Thursday to break down this uh, national semifinal. Our good buddy Rajim Seabrook. We'll we'll, we'll bring a lot of good feedback for us on Friday as well. Plenty of NCAA tournament talk as well. So, uh, for now, that's the news of the weekend. I know that's what everybody was watching. Uh, FAU, Miami, uh, San Diego State, all into the Final Four for the first time ever. UConn into the Final Four for the sixth time since 1999. We'll take a step outside the NCAA tournament and talk some spring football. The Montana Basketball Hour turns into the Montana Football Hour. We got... The three position groups to watch, both the Cats and the Grizz, in this spring football session. We'll do that next. Football talk coming at you. Keep it right here. No is now, ESPN Radio. that people have bad days, and that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm, because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want. If you've had a bad day, visit jschulteilaw.com. One, two, three. One. is now on ESPN Radio. Yesterday, uh, for about 20 minutes after the games, I made the mistake Venturing into the basement of my brother's house. There awaits my uh, six-and-a-half-ish-year-old nephew. And he says, pick up the sticks. We're we're playing some NBA 2K. All right, I'm old. I haven't played. I've played a a certain uh, sort of video game uh, a little bit sparingly over the last handful of years. But there's not been a lot of video games in my life. Uh, since I moved back to Missoula and started doing ESPN Radio back in August of 2017. I have played a little bit of of golf. Um, I used to be really into video games. You know, you get older. It's not that you don't like them anymore. You just don't have the time, right? I pick up the sticks. This kid's six. He beats me 88 to 50. Humiliates me. Completely runs me out of the gym. I, I say that because that song... The Clash, little train in vain. It reminds me of NCAA football 2004. And uh, when I was 16 years old, 17 years old, I spent so much time playing that game. And that song was the theme song of that game. So I was thinking about the height of my video game prowess and how far I've fallen over the second half of my life here. (laughs) I I shouldn't say the second half of my life. That was half of my life ago when I was so good and listening to some clash on NCAA 2004. Welcome back. Duana's Dow, ESPN Radio. Speaking of college football, is that game? That game is coming back. It has come back. I can't remember. That would be awesome. But we're going to do some college football talk here uh, as the Montana Basketball Hour transitions into the Montana Football Hour. The Montana Football Hour presented by Blackfoot Communications. You want to find out how Blackfoot Communications can help you and your small business? Visit. Go Blackfoot.com. Now, fill me in. Uh, is is college football, is NCAA is the game? It's back. I know that it should be coming back this, this year. year. It was supposed to be last year. They bumped okay. it back a year. Okay. See, you can't let me buy this. I'm buying it. <laughs> so you're going to have access to oh, it. Oh, no. Oh, no. See, okay. So most people, especially when they were kids, probably thought that playing the actual game and getting the stats racked up, and running the option and all that was the best part. That part's fun. The recruiting and all of the program building, I used to geek all the way out on that. I had the best formula to get all the dudes. I had Penn State circa like 2026 just rolling along, getting the top 25 recruits in the country every single year. I used to just love it. Uh, it, But it also is just such a time suck when you do all that. We'll come back to some NCAA later on. Here's what I'm going to be watching, here's what we're going to be uh, watching. And, and by the way, we've, we've given this PSA already, but we're, we're talking about Grizz football and Cat football here on the radio. We already have done, this is probably our sixth spring ball segment. We're not going to have that much, if any, access to actually watching these guys perform until the spring games. Montana's practicing right now. You know, and and they start practice at 336 or, you know, three 340, whatever, between 330 and 345. So, for us to go down there, we can't do it because we got to be back here. So, we'll get our first eye on the Grizz at the spring game, April 7th. And uh, same thing with the Cats. I'm probably going to go over to Bozeman one Saturday between now and April 22nd. And, uh... They will also be there April 22nd for their spring game as well. But that doesn't mean we can't just analyze the rosters and the positions and all that. So here are the three most interesting position groups for both the Grizz and the Cats as they are uh, in the middle of spring football. First of all, I want to know who's going to punt. We've already talked about this, but it's a huge deal. It, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. But the Grizz have had All-American punters two years in a row. They successfully replaced Brian Bushini after he transferred to Nebraska with Patrick Rohrbach, who was the FCS National Punter of the Year last year. Well, Rohrbach is uh, moving on. He is transferring to Arizona State but not to play football. He's joining the Air Force ROTC program. He's going to become a flyboy, so that's pretty cool. Um, but with the ball-controlled, defensive-oriented mindset that Bobby Hawks always wanted to have and always employed, they got to find themselves a punter. Same thing at Montana State. Bryce Layton... Uh, is, I believe, the only recruit in Big Sky Conference history to play in the Under Armour All-American game. He was one of the top punters in the country coming out of Camus High School. He's been a stalwart there at MSU. He is already, I believe, completed his undergraduate degree and uh, is stepping away from football so he can concentrate on getting a master's degree. So they're in uh, search of a punter and a kicker in Bozeman after Blake Lesnar, uh, the uh, really talented and record-setting uh, kicker there at MSU, transferred to UCLA in the offseason. So um, the, there's a lot of mystery there. Right? We, we can't really break down the position groups of punter and kicker because we don't really even know who they, these guys have at this exact moment within the program. I mean, I know Casey Kotzman was a very uh, highly recruited guy out of Butte High School, and uh, he's at Montana State. Kotzman can kick and punt, so maybe that's an option there for the Cats. But I also think this is TBD because I think that uh, – Both programs will almost certainly bring in transfer help uh, if they can. But let's start with some of the non-specialists here. We'll start with the Grizz. We talked about this a little bit earlier this year, but it's worth hashing out again. Montana has piled up gaudy sack numbers, since Bobby Hauk returned as the head coach. They've had 35-plus sacks every single year. Uh, They've had as many, I think they had close to 50 in 2021. They certainly had in the 40s a couple times. And they have had uh, no defensive linemen that have had more than five, six sacks. Because they get so much of their pass rush from their exotic blitzing packages. But I think sometimes the system sort of overwhelmed and overshadowed the player, which is a little bit crazy. But The system certainly puts linebackers in the position to get most of the sacks if you're Montana. But I don't think you can underrate how good the guys operating the system were at actually rushing the passer. Marcus Wellnell and Jace Lewis are two of the great A-gap blitzers you'll ever see. I mean, Wellnell rolled up like close to 20 sacks as a guy that was rotating in a lot of times at inside linebacker. But he was so good at shedding a personal protector getting through that that block. Lewis was such a great hand fighter. So back to back number thirty sevens the last couple of years have been key uh, to the Grizz pass rush, particularly that interior pressure. Then on the outside, I don't know if you can recruit or, or replace, excuse me, a guy like Patrick O'Connell. O'Connell, uh, he's going to have his pro day, but several of the Grizz guys are going to have their pro day next week. It's April fourth here uh, in Missoula, so I think that's next Tuesday. Uh, I was exchanging messages with Patty O'Connell earlier today. Uh, He's going to join us here on the show uh, at some point, just uh, depending on uh, what his schedule might be. He's been down in Florida trading with Tom Shaw. But uh, O'Connell, it remains to be seen what his football future is, but the one elite skill he absolutely possesses at at a truly NFL level is his get-off, his ability to to time the snap, get-off and go, hit the blitz, hit the outside pressure. Um, I mean, that's why you saw him, you know, be a Buck Buchanan finalist multiple years in a row and, and roll up, you know, a, a league-leading total in sacks as a junior. And then even though he battled injuries last year, still come close to double digits as well. So where do the Grizz then get their pass rush from? I, I I'm not sure if you – again, I'm not sure you have a level of talent like Patrick O'Connell – in the on the roster but maybe you do maybe you have a guy blossom that's the best part about college football but also though maybe ronnie bradford as the new defensive coordinator goes about it in a little bit different way i i all sources say and all sources point to and bobby halk has stated on the record that the 335 defense that's been their base defense will remain at montana but that doesn't mean you can't tweak it and uh, have a little a couple new folds I mean, for example, a couple of years ago, Jacob McGowring was put in pretty advantageous situations as a defensive end, and he had a bunch of sacks as a freshman. He's then since been uh, had an elevator role as more of uh, as more of what the defensive end in this system. Um, what they want out of that, and so therefore he's been having to eat up blockers. He hasn't been put in the situation to be the guy getting the sack for the last couple of years. Maybe they changed that. Maybe they adjust some packages to isolate guys like McGowan or Noose or uh Kale Edwards, who's Henry Noose or, or Kale Edwards, a couple of young guys that we've had on this show that we've uh, uh talked highly of uh as their sort of uh rising stars there for the Montana Grizz front seven. So uh, where do they get the pass rush? That's something that I think that it, 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 there's a whole bunch of guys, and, and it'll almost certainly be a team effort, right? What if some of those inside guys like Tyler Flink or Levi Janicaro or Ryan Tyrrell, What if those guys can, you know, take the next step when it comes to that interior blitzing? Or you know, what if there's somebody else that emerges as, as that new edge guy uh, in the role of O'Connell? We'll see. Uh, certainly going to be fun to watch. Now it's, now it's the Montana Football Hour, presented by Blackfoot Communications, talking uh, top position groups to watch for both Montana and Montana State spring football. For the Cats, right tackle. The, the Cats sort of shocked the world last year when they graduated multiple uh, All-American type players. Lewis Kidd went to the NFL and still plays for the New Orleans Saints. Taylor Sopo was a multiple-time uh, all-big-sky guy. And the Cats, everybody's number one question mark for the Cats last year was, where do they turn on the offensive line? They've had elite offensive line play, but how do they fill in the gaps? TJ Session transferred to Cal. Connor Wood transferred to Missouri. Zach Red didn't use his last-year eligibility. There's the whole Jeff Choate line right out the door. Well, they absolutely dominated up front, uh, they were the best offensive line in the league, and it wasn't close. They rushed for almost 300 yards per game. They set the Montana State single-season record for rushing yards in a season. And they return all those guys. That was the other big question mark was these guys are sophomores and freshmen. It, how do they step up? Well, all of them stepped up, and now they're sophomores and juniors. That gets you a long ways. Rush Reimer was a, a sophomore All-American last year, left tackle. Justice Perkins, an all-big sky guy at center. Cole Sane and J.T. Reed. Above, you know, plus-plus players at guard if they take the next step. I think they're they're all conference players at offensive guard. But the number one spot I'm looking at for the Cats is right tackle because they were able to roll as an offensive line unit and as an offense despite actually getting decimated by injury on the right side of the line. Marcus Ware, who was the, the starter early, he broke his leg and missed the whole second half of the season. Titan Fleischman, who's a guy who they were really high on last spring, a redshirt freshman out of Pocatello, Idaho. Who uh, he, he's one of those guys that I'm always talking about. The guy that spends the time in the weight room, explodes into this breakout type guy. I mean, Fleischman got up to 300 pounds uh, between his redshirt year and and last spring. Maybe the weight gain, though, also a contributing factor to him suffering a season-ending knee injury. But both Ware and Fleischman are back. So's Jacob Kettles, who played a bunch of football with those two guys on the shelf. So now you got three young, young players battling for that spot at offensive ta- at right tackle. But that's going to make all three of them better. And it also then is probably going to give you a couple other options at the other spots as well. Ware can absolutely play guard and can really play it at a high level. If. If your best five includes, like, let's say your best five includes Ware and Fleischman, then maybe that bumps Sane or Reed out of the starting lineup. Either way, I think that that battle at right tackle is going to make the entire offensive line unit better. And if that offensive line unit gets better from last year, now you're tackling one of the best in the country, not only one of the best in the conference. you one on now, uh, ESPN Radio. It is the Montana Football Hour presented by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot's customers have access to all the latest technologies backed by 24-7 support. To learn about how Blackfoot can provide the right services for you and your business, visit goblackfoot.com. We'll keep on doing position groups throughout the rest of the Montana Football Hour here. Don't change the dial. Keep it right here. Nuane is Now, ESPN Radio. Oh! It's is Now on 102.9 ESPN Statewide on SWX Montana Television. For the next couple weeks, make sure to go to TeamUptop.com. Our great friends at Uptop Clothing hooked us up with uh, more than $500 worth of prizes, merchandise, etc. As part of our ESPN MT Bracket Challenge. They're also hooking you up anytime you go shop at TeamUptop.com. Use the promo code ESPN5. We get $5 off any and all purchases. TeamUptop.com. TeamUptop, reminding you to take a step back and enjoy the moment. More spring football talk. We are doing the uh, top most interesting position groups for both Montana and Montana State as they're in the midst of spring ball. Uh, Let's just do the position of corner because I have that highlighted for both the Cats. Uh, and the Grizz. First of all, I think that corner, when, you, when, you, when it comes to like being a, a, a college football beat writer, breaking down position group stuff, and and or just anybody that's analyzing college football, corner's always going to be on your list for spring ball and fall camp. Because corner is always so competitive. You always have to have an edge. There's always somebody coming for your job. There's usually... I'm not going to say there's usually a ton of great corners at Big Sky schools. There's just usually a bunch of corners that are almost all the same at a lot of Big Sky schools. Like, who's better than who? So much of it just comes down to who's playing better. Every once in a while, you get a a far superior talent, like a Justin Ford was at Montana this last year. But I I do think there's going to be some heated battles for playing time at both Montana and Montana State. I think those are important battles. The Grizz do lose Ford who's an NFL hopeful. They do return though Corbin Walker. And Corbin Walker has been completely and utterly overshadowed by Justin Ford because Ford had the enormous year where he had 9 picks and was a Buck Buchanan award finalist and and then that translated into both the storyline and the reality that he wasn't getting thrown at anymore during his senior year, so his numbers weren't nearly as eye-popping. But he himself is still certainly uh, a next-level type of guy, and I expect him to make money playing football in some form or fashion. If his NFL dreams don't work out, I can certainly see him playing in something like the USFL or the XFL. I don't know if that's in his wheelhouse or not, but he's a he's a great player. And so uh, he, there is big shoes to fill for the Cats, Simeon Woodard was a breakout freshman a couple years ago and then was a a stalwart sophomore this last year. Who's going to be the guy that rises up uh, uh, on the opposite side of him? Jeff Chope brought a bunch of young talent into the program. Guys that really popped to me when they were first on campus in their first off-seasons were guys like Miles Jackson and Devin Davis. But both those guys have been really banged up throughout their MSU career, so they haven't gotten a lot of opportunity there Uh, on the outside uh, at corner at at Montana State. At Montana, I think probably the the top contenders to get the most playing time alongside Corbin Walker are Dylan Simmons, who's a kid that once upon a time was getting recruited by Florida State, fell through the cracks. I I believe he is one of, if not the first guys to come to Montana from Louisiana, but he was playing a high level of high school football during his time there at Louisiana. He was a... a standout player in the spring last year. He popped to me, especially during the spring game down there in Hamilton. And then he was sort of caught in the the wash last year. But can he take the next step? He could be a guy that really could challenge at Montana. Trevor Gradney, he's another one that I got my eye on because Gradney was exceptionally good at special teams in 2021. He was Montana's special teams ace again last year. But you thought that maybe he would rise up the depth chart and really challenge, but he was sort of just stuck there as Montana's fourth corner behind uh, Justin Ford, Corbin Walker. Who the third corner that was heavily in the mix last year? Who am I thinking of? Jane oh, Dawson. No, Jane Dawson, of course, who's a senior. Yeah, yeah, right. And so Gradney was kind of stuck right there. So can he go w- one notch up? We'll see. But he's a guy that's uh, really aggressive. He's a good tackler, uh, a little, uh, you know, in-state kid out of Billings West. And then the other guy I think is interesting is, Andrew Trevelyan, who's a junior college transfer but actually started his career at Sam Houston State. A lot of guys that come in from the J.C. ranks, especially at corner, they're hungry, and they're not, they're not worried about disrupting the status quo so they can compete really hard, maybe rise up and become uh, contributors. It's now ESPN Radio. It's the Montana Football Hour. I want to keep talking spring ball. Uh, so we'll do that. At hour number two, we're also going to talk about a bunch of track and field, and uh, we're also going to maybe have a history lesson. Uh, but I do want to continue highlighting some of these position groups that are interesting battles. I want to get Andrew's thoughts on the corners, and I want to talk about a couple other position battles for both Montana and Montana State. Uh, so that's what we'll do. We'll take a break. Thanks to Blackfoot Communications for their continued support of all of the things we got going on here uh, at Missoula Broadcasting Company and at Skyline Sports. Without Blackfoot Communications, we couldn't bring you The Business Angle with Justin Angle. The new show on the trail every Tuesday night. Uh, We couldn't bring you the Montana Football Hour like we just did here on -on Nuanas Now. They're proud sponsors of the Big Sky Breakdown podcast, the Nuana's Now podcast. Blackfoot Communications uh, could not do it without what they got going on. Go to their website, goblackfoot.com. Click on their Connect to More program, their C2M Beta. That's uh, been one of the primary ways we've partnered with Blackfoot, and they've helped us tremendously. Uh, in our business development and in uh, helping grow everything from our podcast network to our radio and television presence. Uh, So thanks to Blackfoot for everything that they do for us. Hour one in the books, hour two coming at you. More spring ball, track and field, and some history. That's next. Keep it right here. us now, ESPN Radio.